0: Podcasts are sponsored by Kinexis, where we're passionate about helping the world improve and innovate more effectively with our web-based software. Learn more at www.makeimprovementhappen.com.
1: Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Raven. Welcome to episode 216 of the podcast for February 20th, 2015. Returning to the podcast after his first appearance back in episode 188 is Dan Jones. He's the founder and chairman of the Lean Enterprise Academy. Now, Dan, of course, collaborated with Jim Womack on uh, the books The Machine That Changed the World, Lean Thinking, and Lean Solutions, and uh, helped publish many other books through Lean Enterprise Academy. He's also a senior advisor to the relatively new website Planet Lean, and you can find links to the past episode and all of these different books and sites if you go to leanblog.org 216. So in this episode, we're going to talk about some of the progress being made in areas outside of manufacturing. Dan says there's awareness everywhere, but he asks if there's real depth in lean progress outside of manufacturing we'll discuss how we can reframe lean for the public sector and healthcare as a way of going beyond just cost-cutting programs what does dan see happening in software and startup sectors uh, in companies like spotify in sweden and how is interest in the core respect for people principle leading to a search for more holistic management methods those are some of the themes we'll explore in this episode so to find um, all episodes and information about subscribing if you'd like to get notified about the um, great episodes that we've got coming up soon and in the future, you can go to leancast.org. Well, joining us again on the podcast today, Dan Jones, thanks for uh, coming back and being a guest again.
0: Oh, very happy to, Mark.
1: So, you know, we're we're sitting here um, more than 25 years since the term Lean production was was uh, was coined, and obviously you were part of those efforts. I'm, I'm curious, though, you know, here in 2015, um, what some of the things are that you're seeing that that interest you in areas beyond manufacturing sectors. What's going on uh, with lean?
0: Well, part of my destiny um, in the partnership with Jim uh, early on, after we coined the term and did the MIT studies was that uh, living in the UK our manufacturing industry in the 80s and 90s was imploding and so it wasn't an awful lot of future for lean beyond the few Japanese uh, plants that came here um, so I had to quite quickly go out of manufacturing and explore uh, taking lean to other sectors like construction and healthcare and um, retail and, and aerospace and um, later on public sector so I, I I spent a lot of time trying to find pioneers with with whom to experiment and uh, and see how we could translate the concepts into into the language and address the needs of different sectors. And uh, so that's that's been my destiny in life. I think we can claim we've spread awareness everywhere and uh, there are very few sectors now that haven't been touched by some form of lean activity. But that doesn't mean that we've um, we've created depth of uh, real experience and practice with lean. Uh, that's still to come, I think, in many sectors. Um, so uh, we we spread it widely, and we've also, I think, um, spent a lot of time over the last 15 years deepening our understanding of the management system necessary to to support the lean tools that we all learned about 25 years ago.
1: Yeah, now it seems like yeah. Yeah, you're right. Awareness is a first step, but what what do we do beyond being able to, um, you know, people being able to use some terminology or, you know, uh, I don't know if, if this seems to happen to other industries. People say, "Oh yeah, oh this lean stuff seems simple," and sure, that's you know, we we've done that now. Um, how how do you hmm. gauge the that depth of of real
0: progress in in different industries? Well, it's kind of interesting. You could reflect on the TWI stages. Uh- of learning basic job instruction you know we've done the awareness step step um quite a lot of people uh, can do lean with a lot of help Um not too many can do lean on, on their own without help and then there are very few people who are at the point where they can teach lean to others so i think you can apply that just not just to people but also to sectors and uh, i would say healthcare and public sector Uh, are more recent into this field, you know, last 10, 15 years at the very most uh, and really mostly the last 10 years and um, they've gone through the big consultant-led programs and we've seen and I'm sure you've seen a dozen of those and uh, at some point you get a call saying, well, we spent the money, we had the consultants, uh, we did a lot of activity, people were very energized by it but actually... Our finance director in the end said, Well, where's the result? You know, what's what's all this led to? And I think that's uh, that's a very salutary lesson that um while big programs create awareness um and engage people I think, uh they actually don't deliver the results that are promised. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's I think that's I think where we're at, where we're at in the in the public sector and healthcare right now yeah
1: well I mean I, I would think there's a risk that awareness is either partial awareness or it creates the risk of misunderstanding or to to to, to, you, to your point about engagement I mean I think awareness doesn't necessarily engage people if if uh, you know I think people combine old managerial habits with the lean concept. Okay, I'm going to use lean to tell people they need to rearrange their workspace and, yes, as exactly. opposed to really engaging people, right? Yes,
0: I I, I think that's absolutely the case. There, of course there is a danger with lean that you learn a little and you think you, you know it all, uh, whereas in fact a true approach to lean means that uh, the more you learn, the more you realize there is to learn. So this is a developmental path. So I think you're right that uh, engagement quickly fizzles when it's just tools and when it's just supported by experts from outside, or when it's being rolled out across the organisation in classic kind of six sigma style um, as a thing that people uh, don't need to think about too much, just listen to the to the to the training sessions and just do, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a very kind of uh, tailorist approach to to managing change. So I think lean gets um, people get pretty cynical when lean is used that way
1: now maybe we can we can delve a little bit into you know uh, uh, the story with the tax office in the uk the hmrc you know people mm-hmm. maybe american listeners aren't familiar with that story I, I only have a surface understanding where, i mean i remember seeing an article years back where you know I- employees were i think rightfully upset that they were being told you know you have to put tape around everything and you're not allowed yeah. to have family yeah. photos on your desk and yeah. I, I read that and I think well, you know, what what problem was was really being solved? Um you know, hopefully from some of that you know, came you know, were, were there any good results or how um, what's your well, you know, what's Well,
0: I yeah. just for for American readers, the the HMRC, which is the tax office in the UK, uh, conducted a it was the first major consultant-led transformation program, uh, lean transformation program in the UK government. The second was in the employment agency, the Department of Work and Pensions, uh, which was slightly kinder um, and probably a little bit more successful in that a lot more people learned about lean and learned about how to teach lean and do lean that have survived and gone on to do other things. But uh, HMRC, uh, the problem with the tax office was the government was simultaneously trying to squeeze the unions and uh, reduce headcount. While they were doing a lean program, mm-hmm. and, and that's uh, absolutely understandably, the trade union used the uh, used the rather naive application of lean, and you, you mentioned some, and there are certainly others as well um, of naive "do it to me" mm-hmm. cut, you know, cook a, cookie cutter lean that uh, was being used, uh, and, and naturally, the trade unions used that as a as a as a weapon against the establishment, right. and. Uh, So, I think um, there were a lot of good case studies and examples, exemplars, uh, in both of those ministries that, uh, you know, big things were achieved in certain places, but it was very difficult to make this a nationwide program across multiple offices. Now, what's happened since is that many of those lean, um, the people who really got into lean and learned to do lean themselves and became internal lean agents, um, in some ministries, when the consultants went home, actually continued working on their own. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I've seen in the, something like the Department of Justice, uh, which is another big, uh, government department in the UK. Um, some really, really impressive things that have simply grown up from the, from the ground up. So from the resources that were left out of DWP, those people have been uh, building great case studies and improving the process through courts and so on and so forth. So uh, always not lost Um, and the other thing that happened was I was working with the National Audit Office in the UK which reports to Parliament on how well the government spends taxpayers money and um, they've been asked to audit uh, the lean programs of many government departments beginning with the initial program that the Royal Air Force ran to improve the maintenance of fighter jets which was very successful. And they have become really quite knowledgeable about lean. And we developed an assessment, a process awareness assessment, um, that the National Audit Office used uh, to understand um, different ministries approach to process improvement uh, across government. And we have now over four or five years, quite a database of of uh, different ways to compare the process readiness of central government departments. And that itself has triggered a lot of awareness and understanding um, amongst government departments and 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 really led to led to the seeding I would say of initiatives that I think are likely to be much more successful because they're homegrown they're much more modest in scope um, they work if they are supported by a A senior person a leader who actually has seen this before and that's that's actually one of the unintended lessons from these big uh, consultant led programs is that senior executives have seen them fail before and have reflected on why that was the case and uh, some of them not all of them but some of them have come to the conclusion that it failed because we top management was not engaged and was not not leading it right and uh, so for instance, I was in a hospital in uh, in Barcelona that I've written about just recently, and there the CEO had experienced lean programs, uh, consultant-led programs in two previous jobs and was determined not to do it that way in his third job when he did become CEO and has been very much the hands-on leader and uh, been extraordinarily successful as a result. So, you know, I'm very, Loath to completely damn those experiments. Uh, maybe there were, maybe they were necessary evils in a sense uh, to create both the awareness and the seeding of capabilities, both in top management and in um, lean guys, uh, that could be used elsewhere. Yeah,
1: and, and I think you know, generally organizations are, are very short-term focused. So longer-term yes. <laughs> goals of uh, you know, building capabilities or, or having experiments that, you know, you said, well, it was at a failure or a learning experience. You know, uh, I think one of those old habits is the short term pressure. I mean, when when I was in Japan in November, mm-hmm. one thing I was really struck by was the consistency of manufacturing companies and service companies and hospitals that all talked about whether it was framed as quality circles or lean or everyday kaizen they they all said some variation of you know well you know our first goal is developing people and Absolutely. learning the second goal is the results and benefits and and Absolutely. and i think just like right there that that's a mindset that's really hard for people to embrace i think in other in, in western settings
0: well i think that's right i mean just just in my most recent experience with the healthcare board in helsinki um The big lesson for them was that, uh, yes, they understood that Lean was about problem solving um, and they understood that the sort of coaching was necessary and so on to develop the problem solving capabilities, but didn't actually understand that the purpose of problem solving isn't actually to solve today's problem. It's to learn uh, the problem solving process itself so you're better able to, together as a team, to solve tomorrow's problem and the one after that and the one after that. It's learning as the dynamic capability to make continuous improvement uh, an accelerating phenomenon, if you like. And uh, that's, that's a leap that I think a lot of people still haven't quite made. They've understood learning, um, and yes, we need to learn to do PDCA, but actually the PDCA process is, is something that not only is practice, but is the basis for real sustained continuous improvement and uh, that that's a that's an important lesson and i think the other lesson related to that is that most people are actually find it difficult to see improvement opportunities in their work because they kind of accept that that's the way things have always been done and yes we can deal with problems but can we see uh, incremental improvements we could make today, tomorrow, next week uh, that would make life better for customers and work experience better for the providers. Yeah. Well, I
1: mean, what I see happen, I think a lot in healthcare, it's it's partly that people can't see the waste because they're, they're mm-hmm. just very accustomed to the way things are. But I think even sometimes when the waste starts to become visible, uh, yep. leaders and even sometimes frontline staff, Take it very personally, even if you know nobody is blaming them, and we can talk about you know be hard on the process, not on the person. But they view it as say, well, the process is the people, and Mm -hmm. they feel Mm -hmm. shame or embarrassment Mm -hmm. that you know some form of defensiveness about well, gosh, why we feel terrible that we haven't fixed it before. I I think that is is tough. So you know, healthcare tends to be a little more emotion driven, maybe than oh, absolutely. Of and of course,
0: healthcare. The, the thing about healthcare is the patient actually experiences the process, mm-hmm. and so the patient, the experiential experience of the process, both for staff and for the patient, is uh, is critical to how both of those judge, you know, the success of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So I, I think healthcare is uh, is different, is a lot more tribal. Uh, is going to take um, you know quite a long time before it becomes the wave, the way that teams work in healthcare. Um, but nevertheless, um, I kind of think of um, a, an organization like that Spanish hospital where the CEO understands they've got to be hands-on. The CEO has enough knowledge of the process so he can link the improvement efforts in different places of the system so that the the overall flow actually flows. So it improves the flow and they can handle more patients for the same re- resource and so on and so forth. And he does that through, um, through developing, you know, very deep problem-solving capabilities uh, at the front line and uh, making, if you like, the line responsibility for lean rather than having a lean team. And uh, sometimes I have to say, you know, lean teams get in the way. And, and some other times I've seen a, a very sad case where brilliant people taken into a lean team end up just being firefighters for CEO yeah. rushing off to sort fires out, which you know, which just reignite as soon as they move on to another area. Right. And that's really sad.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, I saw an article. Um, this is kind of maybe getting off the, the the track of public sector and other areas, but I saw an article the other day talked about Xerox, which I guess is as much of a services company anymore as they are a manufacturer. That they were disbanding their centralized lean six sigma team, and they said, "Well, look, you know, we've we've trained tons and tons of people. We've built capabilities all throughout the organization. There's no reason to have that central team anymore," which. Uh, you know, I, I, I hope they I don't know, I would hope as an outsider that they're not declaring victory too early in terms of right. the culture right. change and how much that's really embedded or if that's just a positive spin on on yeah. getting rid of a central group. I mean, my understanding is that Toyota has different forms of small central groups that yes. are responsible yes. for kind of maintaining standards and, and helping spread or, or maintain their culture throughout the world. Right.
0: Yes, I mean, uh, and and also for for uh, drawing on, the, for architecting and drawing on the lessons from different experiments around the world. I mean, it's just really striking that Toyota plants are, in each country look very different. They have had a different history, and yet the principles and the problem-solving methodology has been very similar. So I, I think the... Big lean teams were actually never part of the lean agenda. Mm -hmm. And I think became part of the lean agenda as the consultants got in. Um, And Toyota doesn't use big lean teams. And I I always say to a lean team, you know, well, um, where's your next job? And they all say, (laughs) well, it's a staff function doing lean. And I Mm -hmm. say, no, your future job is taking responsibility for coaching a team and delivering bottom line results. You are line managers and you mm-hmm. have to be line managers in the future because that's, that's where you will learn next. And uh, they feel pretty uncomfortable about that, but mm-hmm. actually it's well, true.
1: Well, I think our friends at ThetaCare have done a, a very good job of that, of having their internal um, ThetaCare improvement system team not be mm-hmm. a career path, but a stepping stone right. to, to right. spread leadership and lean leadership throughout the organization.
0: And that's, that's how it always was when I f- set up the first uh, Kaizen office in, uh, in Unipart back in 92 or 93 or whatever. Um, it was a place through which we rotated people to gain deeper experience and particularly teach experience of not just being master of a, of a particular piece of knowledge or process or a tool, but actually learning how to teach it to others right. because that's, uh, that's critical. And then, uh, then we deployed them um, as support to people who needed to learn that skill next. So that was always the intention. I think the big consultant thing got us off track. Yeah. But, uh, you know, maybe it was necessary. I mean, who, who knows? Could, could Care of or Virginia Mason have got where they've got to without the massive investment in consulting support they had? I don't think they probably could have done. But does that mean that every other hospital, following their example, has to do that? I, I don't think so. I think, um, in truth, when when lean is really mature, then actually lean should be a very simple set of uh, of principles and practices that even some small hospital out in the Midwest could do do on their own with minimal outside uh, mentoring. Yeah. And that's when it really will hit everybody. Yeah, I mean, it,
1: these these questions you're posing, I think, are are hard to answer because it's hard. It's, there's no way of knowing. We didn't have a control group of whether exactly. Virginia Mason or Theta Care could have been exactly. successful with a different approach. And we certainly know yeah. everybody who spends a ton of money on consultants doesn't repeat the same success. So you have the exactly. variables of exactly. You know, I think Gary Kaplan, John Toussaint, Dean Gruner mm-hmm. are you know rare lean leaders. Um, terms of being, you know, I think I I know, um, you know, John better than than the others, but I know John talks about, he's very introspective about his own, you know, personal leadership style transformation. And I
0: I think that's, I think that's rare. I I think it's rare, uh, but I think there are more and more, well, maybe I'm just being optimistic, but I I am seeing more and more, uh, CEOs who've had experience maybe at the level or two below CEO Mm -hmm. of lean programs, and who are now uh, in a position where they can actually act as CEO and, um, and are hands-on leading it. And uh, that's I think a precondition is hands-on leadership, It's the ability to link things end-to-end, value streams end-to-end, patient flows, whatever you like. Um, it's the deploying lean through the line and uh, focusing on building the incremental, the continuous improvement capabilities at the front line yeah so, so you it's, uh, know it's
1: not rocket science, yeah, and, and hence the challenge, right I mean, you know, I, yes, I've heard people say you know it's not that lean principles or mindsets are really complicated, they're just sort of they're very different <laughs> from the way well, we've and always then done not, things and right?
0: I've just learned from writing books as we know, uh they're learned by do by practice right practicing together, and that uh, that's how we work we act our way into a different way of thinking mm-hmm. and um it takes time yeah
1: but i think you know you you, you keep coming back to the point of you know how do we get people to take on this challenge of trying to develop problem solving capabilities i I guess at first somehow people have to be made aware that that there's some sort of gap or problem to be solved in in that area yeah it's easy i think think for people to say oh yeah we're great problem solvers when
0: well that's right they're firefighting right i think you know in a sense that's uh we we leap in to to use lean and do lean and practice lean without actually spending enough time understanding what the purpose is. What's the, mm-hmm. what's the problem you're trying to solve? Mm-hmm. And um, if the problem in healthcare, it seems to me, is very clear. It, it's on the on the one hand, it's a it's a quality, however you measure it, performance that uh, is still an outlier compared with pretty well every other sector mm-hmm. in terms of uh, of its. Poor performance. So it's a poor is a big quality problem in healthcare still. Right. And the second is that, you know, in every country you look at there is a growing aging population and growing demand for healthcare and yet the middle class incomes as tax revenues are supposed to pay for this or insurance policies. Uh, their incomes have been squeezed. And so there ain't gonna be more money. So um mm-hmm. we're going to have to learn to do, to cope with this growing demand with uh, with the resources we've got, basically. Yeah. Well, and, I- you know, simply frightening politicians to promise more money, A, doesn't actually work, and B, is, uh, is it actually going to be, it, it distracts us from actually doing the right things to cope with this growing demand.
1: Yeah, and I think you, you, you raise a great point where, you know, I think In in the US, there's a a better understanding of the cost problem than there is about the quality and patient safety problem that we we can't just we can't throw money at the problem. We don't want to spend more. We can't spend more. But even our neighbors to the north in Canada who spend Hmm. probably two thirds of what the US does has huge budget constraints. Hospitals are laying off staff because they don't have enough money and budgets are tight. I mean, Exactly. this seems a, a fairly common problem that that yes. nobody can or you know nobody wants to throw
0: money at the problem and we know that's not really the best solution but
1: yeah it's, so it's uh, so
0: i think the, the the problem is clear is uh is how we at a macro level it's clear is clear you know how do we how do we cope with this growing demand with uh, the the resources we've got and uh i think that needs to then be broken down into well how does my how does my clinic or my, you know, my department cope with increased demand, etc. And then it, that does focus the mind on, uh, well, what is the, you know, where are the errors? What are the delays? What are the queues, etc., etc. et cetera? And uh, how can we, you know, how can we work smarter? Yeah. Well, let, let's transition a
1: bit. You, you talked earlier about some of these you know, more mature industries. Um, let, let's talk about technology and software companies in, in the digital world um, where, where lean ideas are, are relatively new and, and hopefully taking shape in, in good ways. What, what are some of the things you've been seeing recently in the digital world?
0: well interesting i've been uh, i've been attending the lean it summits in paris for the last four years and th- they've been really really fascinating because what you've seen i think now looking back is that you've seen a series of parallel developments um in the software in the software design world and uh, software management world um that have mirrored the the path we've been on for with lean uh, you know you can mention hundreds of initiatives from uh, Extreme Processing to Agile, to Scrum, to Kaizen, to DevOps, to Lean User Experience, Design Thinking, Lean Startup, etc. Mm-hmm. And you could kind of plot those on a, you could almost compare those with the insights into standard work and uh, creating cells and all, all of the things we've learned with Lean over the years. Um they didn't start with a reference model, and we did. And lean, I think the strength of lean is that we have Toyota as a reference model when we get stuck uh, to go to look at. Mm. Uh, they've been kind of struggling with a an industry also had a quality problem and a a problem in that people were not pre- prepared to be treated in the in the traditional tailorist fashion and wanted some some space and autonomy to, mm. autonomy in which to to develop. Right. So, I think. Agile, there's there's a reason why Agile and, uh, and Lean are coming together, if I can characterize it as mm-hmm. that. The first is that um, uh, clearly every product, every process in the future is going to be designed around the information flows. And uh, the information flows are going to be key. So the hardware and software design is actually converging. And those folks need to find a common way of working together. Um, the second is that... Um, that the I think the lean yeah well the the second is really that uh, the agile folks are looking still for a more holistic business management model Mm. uh, within which to to develop um, agile uh, management and so on in the future. And I think we've got a lot to learn from each other. So I think the lean and agile worlds have got a great deal. And where I'm looking um, is that we've seen the big, the original digital pioneers, the Apples and the Amazons and the Ebays and so on that we know very well, uh, come up with fairly traditional management answers as they grew. Uh, They were not really that innovative um, uh, in in the management model. And yet, the next generation of startups, uh, I think, is having to uh, is having to figure out answers to how we work at scale uh, that um, that the other d- previous digital generation didn't uh, didn't actually uh, uh, succeed in addressing. And I think there are some very very interesting business models out there that uh, are trying to. They're trying to combine several things. The first of all, trying to uh, create a, a much clearer product focus and focus on and a direct interaction with the customer. So the, the lean startup movement with the experiment, build, measure, learn cycle absolutely is uh, is what we all have to do and find different ways of, of getting closer to. Uh, the second dimension is the um, is the deepening of technical skills dimension. I think we ignore that at our peril. Um, And the third dimension, I think, is the dimension of uh, learning how to work together, what we will call lean, you know, all the problem-solving skills and collaboration and communication skills that uh, go with lean. Uh, I was recently in uh, Spotify in Denmark, uh, in Sweden, sorry. Yeah. Um, Big, I'm sure many of your listeners uh, use Spotify as a a music streaming service. Mm They are now nearly approaching a thousand people and have come up with a very innovative business model built on squads, their teams of five, six people, with an agile coach, a technical lead, and a product lead in the team. And then those teams are part of uh, 10 tribes, as they call them, uh, focused on different elements of the product. Uh, some of the support, some, some direct product development, and then uh, in each of those layers of management um, those three technical agile and products leads are represented and a very different form of management support in terms of setting objectives and uh setting objectives in terms of outcomes uh rather than in sort of measuring and focusing on uh on the how much resource we're devoting to it so it, it you know i think there's um Lean can learn from from the software history. Software guys can certainly learn from Lean. And what I think the software guys are missing is a focus on understanding how Lean, the discipline that Lean brings to making work visual, to managing deviations from work uh, to problem solving, uh, is all about learning and uh, capturing that learning and uh, in building and improving on that learning, uh, that's I think uh, a dimension that I think the software guys still haven't uh, haven't really understood. Um, so there's a lot of convergence, a lot of interest, and I think the agile and lean worlds absolutely are converging right now. And lean startups are a little bit a little piece of that, but there's a much bigger picture in terms of organization design for the future. Yeah.
1: Now I'm I'm curious. Um, what you're seeing at some of these companies when you talk about a holistic management system, because you know my, yeah. my concern, being sort of on the outside of of the agile and software mm-hmm. worlds, is that there there is, I, I've seen uh, visit organizations that do a great job of uh, visually managing the work and trying to focus on flow, and I wonder sometimes is this sort of like the just in time era of lean where we viewed yes. oh well lean is about high junka boxes and kanban systems <laughs> and maybe some of these technical methods that that you know it's good to have better flow but that doesn't mean you necessarily have the the right culture and, yes. and the problem solving yes. skills and i would hope software companies create better more engaging workplaces um, well i think
0: so and i think that's that's actually what's driven, I think, these startups, companies like Menlo, which I'm sure you're right. familiar mm-hmm. with, and we like Spotify. I mean, that, that's what driven, has driven the agile movements, a search for autonomy to create, you know, workplaces in which people feel fulfilled and, and so on. Um, and I think that's an essential element to the future because, uh, you know, in the future, I don't think anybody's going to tolerate working in a traditional Taylorist, uh, you know, I'll think you do kind of environment. But I think you're right, uh, you know, there are elements of those early JIT days in some of the Agile and Kanban enthusiasts, you know. Uh, they're all seeing a piece of the system and uh, making the same mistake we did in thinking that the piece scaled up actually equals the system. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, it's a piece of the system. Yeah. and, 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 and I think I, The same, I, same is true with Lean Startup. Uh-huh, I mean, I, right. you know, it's, it's great what Eric's done, tremendous, uh, but doesn't address the scale-up issues. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's a, a problem to be tackled. Yeah. And and a lot of times I, do, I don't
1: fault the authors of books like, you know, Eric and the Lean Startup or people who have written mm-hmm. books on um, Kanban, for example, because it seems like sometimes people, uh, the readers don't really read the book or they take away a piece of it where, you know, uh, you know. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just, uh, it's frustrating to see sometimes where I think you know a, a particular book does a decent job of um, explaining the whole, but then the reader, from their own perspective or their own lens, I think has happened, used to happen with lean production, and it happens in mm-hmm. healthcare. The reader, you know, kind of glosses through some things, and then they see something like, oh yeah, okay, there's something great,
0: and that's my takeaway. When it's just a piece instead of the whole, right? I, I, I think that's that's absolutely right, but I, I think what is actually missing in the agile software movement is a framework that puts it all together. And I think, in a sense, that we have a framework, and I think it is the same kind of framework, actually, just in a different language, uh, that could help them put those pieces together in a meaningful fashion, rather than as a collection of pieces. Sure. So I think the the other the other interesting lesson I get out of that and out of the the learning lesson from lean if you like um the learning lesson from lean is that uh, good dynamic economies that come from continual problem solving incremental problem solving um, are as least as able to deliver very significant change over several years as a big leap program in fact i would argue probably more successful and uh, so for the the future, the language of, um, of business debate is often framed around, uh, you know, just disruption as the only answer because these hopeless behemoths can't, uh, can't respond. Well, I, d- I don't think that's the case. A, I think most of the disruptors themselves are actually go through a period of incremental growth. And I think lean and agile uh, does offer in the future an alternative path to uh, being at least a fast follower, mm-hmm. and uh, so therefore still still a player in an industry. Uh, so we'll see. It's very interesting, you know, as Bosch and Daimler and so on get into into the the driverless car, and as Google gets into <laughs> it from the other direction, you know, where it ends up. Yeah. And I think there's a great deal of cross learning going on now that wasn't going on four or five years ago.
1: Yeah, well, and I think you know some of that cross learning is still taking place between manufacturing and healthcare. I mean, oh, I, yes. I, I think and I think you bring up a really interesting point of these different strategies of kind of the radical big bang transformation mm. change versus starting small. And you know, I, what I see happening a lot out there just around let's say you know kaizen and continuous improvement practices is that organizations that get excited about this and they have 80 departments and somebody says, okay, well, yeah. every department needs to order a whiteboard and we're gonna set them all up this yeah. way and everyone go start doing that. Usually those those systems fail and you see, you walk through yeah. the, the yeah. hospital you might see, you know a handful of departments where the leaders were yeah. really engaged and, and excited yeah. about this process. Yeah. And then those boards are just yeah. otherwise collecting announcements about pot lunch gather potluck gatherings, and
0: you know so as opposed to starting
1: small and then trying to spread
0: right I think there's no question that you have to start small because this is all about building capabilities and people have to own those capabilities and practice those Mm -hmm. capabilities and so actually you have to build from the bottom up yeah but you need somebody orchestrating at the top to make sure. sure that um the bottom-up improvements do add up because it's very dangerous that they when they don't, uh, you will just get frustration and you won't deliver organization right. results.
1: Or, I'm sure we would agree that yeah, the, this this bottom-up approach doesn't mean senior leaders say tell tell the employees, okay, well, hey, you're on your own, you're empowered. No. Uh, I mean, no. it's it's a more collaborative approach, right? No,
0: no, no, absolutely, <laughs> and it needs top management visiting the Gemba, because very interesting. Um, more and more I'm seeing the way top management learns, really learns what's going on, is not just going and traditionally visiting, which just doesn't really right. show anything. It's well, not a tour. Yeah. No, it's actually going down and helping and mentoring and coaching and unblocking the problem, the teams at the front line solving their own problems. So ironically, management learns best by learn, helping others to learn, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. Um, because I don't think management can typically see the detail of what's going on, and hence, then also find it very difficult to uh, identify the, the few things that make a difference yeah. uh, to linking things together. So, top management has to actually go to the Gemba. And uh, I've challenged um, lean healthcare leaders, let's la- name them, leave them nameless. Uh, asking them how many days a week they spend on the on the uh, shop floor and uh, they usually mm, they, they say well I don't have too much time, you know. Right. And yet, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. let me tell you, uh, uh, the UK uh, after a disastrous couple of years, in the first two years of this uh, this government we've got at the moment, they tried uh, another reorganisation of healthcare which was a complete waste of time and a big disaster. Uh, but now they've changed and the current manager, the Minister of Health, um, Jeremy Hunt, um, has taken a completely different approach. He said, we, you know, we may not have the perfect structure now, but basically we've got to just improve what we got st- instead of trying to restructure it. Mm. And he has spent privately with no press, he spent a day a week out in the field, actually at the front line, talking to nurses and patients and has a really really deep understanding of what's going on in healthcare and can take on the lobbies as a result much more effectively but um it's that kind of quiet leadership that mm-hmm. really has a deep interest in understanding the details of what's going on that i think uh, that's a that's a great example if and effort if a government minister can do that Mm-hmm. then there's no excuse for any other CEO well, not to be able to do right. that.
1: No, because it, it's, it's far too easy and common for a hospital CEO to come to work for an entire week and not see a patient because they're in
0: a, they're in a separate building, they're in a separate wing. Well, particularly in public sector organizations, the management's all about been about administration. It's not right. about operational management. There's right. no operational management. And so there's been no reason for them to go down and uh that's changing um and i think managers are gradually beginning to realize that actually the p- purpose of management is to support the front line mm-hmm. and to <laughs> go
1: to go and see and not yeah, be, and, see. and to not be the one with all the answers requires a no, certain, no, no. it requires that, a certain humility
0: absolutely and that in healthcare is big big you know if a, if a particularly if a doc is a as a, a ceo mm-hmm. and he goes down and he he doesn't know all the answers, uh, you know. He has to be very careful not to play that role of the, the big dog who does know all the answers, because yeah. that that just you know people see through that very very quickly. Yeah.
1: Well, as as we wrap up, um, Dan, thank you again for um, being a guest on the podcast. Is there anything coming up from the Lean Enterprise Academy? Any any conferences or events or, or new things going on that you want to mention?
0: Uh, well. Um, I mean, we had a, a very successful summit last November and all of our summits seem to be attracting a much, much more senior and more experienced audience, which is good. Um, I think we are we're rethinking the role, if I may say, of these lean institutes. I, I no longer run any of them. Of course, uh, I've now handed over management of the lean network, as Jim has. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we are... What I've put my effort into is helping to establish a communications platform, the Planet Lean um, journal, online journal, which Mm -hmm. is collecting more and more cases because we need to tell stories and we need to reach out to other communities. And we've not been traditionally very good at that. And that's why I spent quite a lot of time out in this software and digital community, uh, partly nudged by my son, I have to admit, who works for eBay in Berlin uh, and keeps sort of bugging me about uh, software. Problems. Um, I'm not a software guy at all, but I find it absolutely fascinating trying to understand, you know, where people have come from and uh, what the struggles are to see the same kinds of things as we've been seeing in the physical world and the digital world. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, uh, you know, we should be open-minded and we should be looking outwards and trying to communicate uh, to a general management audience, which, uh, if we do it right. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll allow the lean movement to continue to a next generation. Yeah, well,
1: that's uh, a great goal. And uh, the website here, it's planet-lean.com. And I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. So um, again, okay. our, our guest today has been uh, Professor Dan Jones. It's uh, it's great to talk to you. And, and thanks for um, talking with us today.
0: Uh, it's great to talk to you, Mike. Uh, Mark, uh, thanks very much indeed. Speak to you again. Okay, thank you.